That was kind of abrupt, wasn't it? <laughs> Whew, scared me a little bit. I like, I like when the plane lands soft, don't you? That was turbulent. We begin a new series. Uh, that's why we produce that video to give you a heads up, to segue a little bit uh, into this idea, you know, this passage we're going to look at in a minute. In fact, turn there if you've got your Bibles or you're close to someone, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read a few verses there in Colossians 3. We'll put it up on the screen in just a minute. But uh, turn there if you will. This morning, as I, uh, as I walk to, to work, or, or church, I guess I should say, right? It's a labor of love. As I walk to church this morning, just because I can... Uh, with 0% chance of perspiration, 0% chance of rain. I didn't realize there would be 100% chance of being harassed by passing motorists. Uh, the first one, I think, was uh, just a random act of harassment. They just yelled at me, shouted something. And the second one, I believe I was recognized and targeted as they shouted, Preach it, preacher! And just went on about 70 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, which is a clear indication they go to another church, right? <laughs> Not this one. Uh, This passage that we're going to read in a minute in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 5, uh, it uses the language in the ESV that we'll put up. It says, put off and put on. And and stealing from the television show on TLC from years ago, what not to wear. The idea is that there's some things that don't look good on you. Some things do. In this passage, Paul's telling us uh, there's some things. So we're going to roll with this, and I want you to really appreciate Uh, the last verse or two because um, the first few verses it seems like maybe that uh, religion you walked away from or something. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 I'm sorry through uh, 14 I believe we'll stop at. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and coveting which is idolatry. On account of these the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is uh, neither Jew or Greek or circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, heart. I thought I was on the end of the the stage there. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. These things, these do's and do nots, uh, culminate in Christ's love. Um, I hope you see that and sense that as we walk through the, this, uh, these, this five-week series and talk about each of these. Now this morning, trust me on this. No one was offended uh, in the 930 service, I don't think. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, what we just read, the first part of that, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire. The ESV says passion. I, th- I think you understand that God is a fan of passion, that this translation, uh, that loses a little bit in the ESV, but it's a distorted passion uh, that the Scripture is talking about. All right, everybody take a breath, and I think this is uh, intended for all audiences. Uh, most of our young ones are out of here 
And if there are some young people here, uh, you have the choice of covering their ears, or I really think that uh, I'll throw it over their head. If there's a, a question about this uh, that you don't want to answer, then I'll take you and your family to lunch, and your kids can ask me all about it. And we'll, How's that? And I'll buy the lunch. Is that good? I like to placate those that I offend. It's just the way that I am. I'm the consummate politician. Three couples go to the pearly gate. They stand in front of St. Peter. First couple steps forward, and he looks at the husband, and he says, you're not getting in. You've got a problem with alcohol. In fact, such a problem, you've nicknamed your wife Sherry. Depart from me. You're not getting in. Dejected, he departs. Second couple steps up and he says, you're not getting in. You've got a problem with money. Such a problem, in fact, you've nicknamed your wife Penny. Depart from me. He's dejected, he departs. Third couple, husband looks at her and says, let's don't even stand in front of him. Come on, Fanny, let's go home. (laughs) This morning... Thank you, thank you. (laughs) This morning, we're talking about that very thing. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18 and 19, I put the reference up. I love this poetry. It it says this, that three things uh, that are too wonderful for me, no, four are a mystery to me. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on the rock, the way of a boat on the sea, the way of a man with a woman. I love that literature. You see, when he says three things, no four, he's getting you to focus on that fourth, right? He's not talking about an eagle sky, not talking about a snake on a rock, not even talking about a boat on the ocean. He's talking about man with a woman. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Years ago, I went to see March of the Penguins. I made the mistake of taking a couple of my kids. I thought it was one of those happy penguin feet type of movies, you know? I didn't realize it was a documentary narrated by our very own Morgan Freeman, And it depicted the mating habits of the emperor penguins in the South Pole. Not a a riveting plot. Do your homework. But as I sat there and this movie began to unfold, I just started thinking, whoa, wow, wonderful, wild, amazing. You know what I'm talking about? And these, it, it depicts, a, there's an opening scene, the beginning of the movie, it shows all these penguins. I mean, they, they look alike, right? They just, they're there and they're, they're walking around and they're checking each other out. Remember mating habits? So uh, it's like a quick lightning round of speed dating. And it makes me wonder, what's a girl penguin looking for in a boy penguin? Scientists can't answer that. Don't let it stump you. But they're looking for each other and they, uh, many of them, like many of us, they, they find a mate. And they do that. And there's an egg that the woman releases. And what does the woman do? She hands it over to the dad. The woman walks. She begins a journey, a trudging through ice and snow of 70 miles to her place of birth, a place where she can find food and water. The husband is left there waiting close to starvation. He has a little pouch with a little bit of food in the back of his mouth. And late, he he has an idea of the timetable of when she will return. And he he feeds the little, when when the egg is hatched, he feeds that little chicklet, that penguin. And the movie depicts 
what scientists now know, that it's the father who sacrifices his comfort and well-being to provide for his family while the woman goes off and feeds herself. He waits, she comes back, and when the mom returns, the father with the new baby penguin, did you see this? The new baby, he, he begins to sing. He sings a song that grows quickly, readily familiar to the baby penguin. You don't really get it at the time, but you see, uh, the dad takes off for food and water and nourishment. He's going to make his way back, and when he makes his way back, he knows that the mom herself is going to be gone. And here the dad comes back with thousands of penguins that look alike. That's comforting, right? They look alike to us. They look alike to them too. And he sings his song in the midst of these thousands of baby penguins new to the world. And the baby penguin recognizes the voice of Papa Penguin and returns the song. The same song. They're united. And there's a chance, slim chance, but a chance for life, for growth, and for family of some sort. As I watched, I thought, what a remarkable film, and what an amazing God we serve. Sexuality with its body parts with its uh, physical sensations, with its nerve endings, with its mystery, with its sparkle, with its impulse, with its desire. It makes penguins trudge 70 miles through harsh conditions. It makes human beings go on blind dates, which could be more painful than 70-mile walks through ice and snow. This morning as we talk about this subject, I think of the context of this verse. And as I read it, you know, we're committed to walking through Colossians this year. We get to this part and we got some of these things that just seem to be a little antiquated, right? Any of you young people, you read this and you think this doesn't work out there. Live this way, you get get left out of the room. But I want to say three things. I've got three G's for you this morning on this subject of our sexuality. And the first is, you've heard it, but I, I hope it grows deeper into us, but it, it's a good gift from God. Now think about the message that we give our young people regarding sexuality. We say it's a dirty act. Save it for the one you love. Right? Now we can go deeper with that. This is not the time or place, but it's difficult for brides to be, to show up and show out on honeymoon night. What a, what a half-truth. What a, and half-truths, are, are, they convey a very confusing message. So let's be clear this morning for all ears to hear. Sex is a good gift from God. It's, it's from above. It's a good thing in the church has gotten this message so wrong for so long through the years. History teaches us that in the 3rd century through the 10th century, in particular, that the church put restrictions on marital sexuality. That it would say that there were times like, say, uh, no marital sex on Thursday. That's when Christ was erected, no, uh, arrested. rather, no, no sex on Friday because he was uh, put to death. 
no sex on uh, Sunday because it was a celebration of the Sabbath and a remembrance of the saints. No sex on, during 40 days of Lent or 40 days of the Advent, uh, 40 days of the Passover, Pentecost. No sex during these times. They began to add different restrictions for fast and for holidays. And it got to the point, if you looked at the calendar, there was about, oh, 44 days where a Christian marriage, you could ind- indulge in the act of sex. Some of you in this room are thinking, wow, gosh, what a tragedy. Some of you are thinking, where can I get that calendar? (laughs) It's a good gift from God. Look at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Did you hear that in your church growing up? Or did we bypass that one? There was a priest and a nun on a holy trip in a car together and the car breaks down. A very brutal, frigid night. The breakdown of the car, they're on foot. They find a cabin. They see this cabin with some type of silhouette or light in the window and they make their way there and discover that it could be a place to bed down, but there's only one cot. He says to her, you take the cot, I'll take a sleeping bag on the floor. They lay down to go to sleep that night. She says, I'm cold. He gets up, gets a blanket from the closet, gives it to her. A few moments go by, she says, I'm still cold. He gets up, gets another blanket, and puts it on her. Half hour later, she says, I'm still cold. He says, I'll tell you what. It's just me and you here. Nobody's going to know. Why don't we, uh, just for tonight, pretend that we're married? She says, I'd like that. I'd like that. He says, well, get up and get your own dead gum blanket there. <laughs> We need, we need in the church, and I understand for a variety of reasons this is a sensitive subject, but we got to teach it, we got to preach it, we got to set it in front of you. We need the gift of people who will rejoice in the wife of their youth with the husband of their youth. I know of a family, an extended family gathering a couple of states over who recently got the mom and the dad together and celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And the dude, he did a reenactment. He had a surprise for her. He he called it together and gathered people. The same venue. He, he, He wore the same tux, had to alter it a little bit. She couldn't wear the same dress, but he got one that looked like that dress. And five... Decades later, to the day, with folks gathered around, she walks down those same steps, that same Perry Cuomo song, and walks to him and they hold hands. And with children and grandchildren and people around, they say those vows all over again. And I bet you nobody there, forget that. I know a group of men who get together on... Saturday mornings at 7.30. They, they're grumpy old men. 
But I think some of them love Jesus. They open the scripture and they, they want to be generous. They pull their resources and once a month or so they'll give to a cause and make a contribution to better their community. They talk every Saturday morning. They meet together. Most are faithful. And once a year they have something they call a sweetheart day where they invite their spouses and friends who've been married a while. And they'll stand up and say, hey, we've been married 40 years. We've been married 50 years. We've been married 64 years. We've been married 71 years. You know, the world needs that gift of people that will rejoice in the spouse of their youth. It's, uh, I think... Hollywood got this one right in this scene. My partner is right here. Beverly, dance with me. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah, you do. No, yeah, you've been dancing with me for 19 years. Steps. I'll teach you. What I like about it, ladies, we know what you like about it. What I like about it is that close-up of those hands. And some of you know what I'm talking about. If you want to know if you're old, just look at your hands. We don't talk about this a lot, but do you remember if you're close to my age, you remember that time where you looked down and you thought, is these are my dad's hands? These are my mom's hands? And I look and I see the maturity on those hands of those people, and I think, you know... As a pastor, you, you guys know I, I do a lot of weddings. And most of the time, it's young couples. In a couple of weeks, there'll be a really young couple. They're both in their 20s, and they're young and in love and starry-eyed, and they have no idea what they're getting into. And they've sat in my office, and I do my spill. I'll look at him, and I'll say, you don't know who you're going to be in five years. You think you do, but you don't. But you sure as heck don't know who she's going to be. And I'll say the same thing to her about him. 
But they don't listen. They're in love. They're young. There's no getting through. But those, there are those weddings. Like a few years ago, a marriage that only lasted about 19 years. And there was a separation and divorce for about nine. And one day, a pastor, I wish it was me, I didn't have the nerve to say it, but this one pastor looked over at him and said, you ever thought about forgiving her? Ever thought about that? Ever thought about, you know, doing the right thing? And to he and I, that pastor and I stood in this beautiful home in the backyard. And to see those teenagers, two teenage girls and a guy with tears in their eyes, seeing mama walk out in white after those years. And that man standing next to me, knowing they've been through a lot. And most people said, it is over. Well, it was over. There's something really special and unique about mature love. Wouldn't you agree? Two weeks ago today, we were in Susan's hometown out on the West Coast in her beautiful uh, lawn, the beautiful lawn of her parents right in front of their home. And my two sons were looking like penguins in that wedding. And my wife walked down as a bridesmaid. Pitter-patter goes to the heart. And then my little 12-year-old walked down. Little girl and pitter-patter goes to the heart. And then here comes my father-in-law with the youngest. She's the oldest, but with the youngest of those three mammarian girls from Palos Verdes. He walks down and I begin to think, no crying at weddings for the preacher. Brides can cry. Grooms can cry. Parents can cry. The front row almost always cries. Ex-lovers cry. But the preacher can't cry. But here's this man that I met at first when he was about 57 years old. Now he's 75, 76. I thought about all those years ago. And it was like in that moment, I myself had church. We hung out with some pastors recently, some guys who said God's called us to start churches all around the country. And every time I meet a pastor and talk to him about how he's doing, I always look at his wife. You know why? Because she tells his story. You look at a woman to see if her man has taken care of her. Fellas, young fellas, you hearing me? She tells your story. And even though it was a wedding, I just felt like I had church there. It was a moment for me to think about all these years with her and this family, the love that we've created, the lives that we've created, and the legacy that we could leave. And we're called not to just lead an organization, but we're called to love and to love each other. It's a good gift from God. Young ladies engaged or young marrieds, here's a good one to talk to. I pray that we could have mentors in our church. People that have learned through hard knocks. People that can speak out of their pain, but people who can say, hey, we are rejoicing in the spouse of our youth. Do you know how much this world needs to see it? 
It's a gift from God. But because of its potential. And I'll say this, because of its actual. Because of what you know, because of things that are going on right now in this room, you and I need the gift of guardrails. We need the gift. You see, because the Bible, I'm telling you, it's right. You are not just a body. For every time you engage in a sexual act, you are giving a part of yourself to the other. It's an act that involves your body, but also your identity, your sense of yourself and your soul. There's an exchange that's much deeper than the message that you're getting from this world, but you know it's true. Because of this reality, it's why a child could be molested or hurt or harmed at 7 years old, but 20, 30, 40 years from now could still be bearing those deep wounds. It's why a woman could be violated with an aggressive sex act against her will, and she still feels and senses the destructive scars of that. It's why women, new survey shows, women coming out of the sex industry, pornography, and prostitution, uh, the research is showing that they bear the effects that's similar to uh, combat veterans of war. Anxiety, depression, flashbacks, hypersensitivity, sleeplessness, emotional numbness. Really? Is it just a physical act? Really? No. Would anyone in this room want to sit in a living room with children and tell them that mommy and daddy are getting divorced? Sex represents a tearing and a coming together. Literally, that's the word usage of it. And it's so much more than what we think it is. You and I, we need guardrails. Let me let this flow from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Run from sexual sin. I'm going to give you three athletic metaphors. See if you can find them as we read this. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. First athletic image is the scriptures telling us be a sprinter. Be a sprinter. Learn to run from what is wrong. Learn to be careful. And there are just times you just you gotta do that, you gotta run, you gotta sprint, you gotta get away. The second athletic image, be a bodybuilder. That body word is used here a few times. Know yourself, learn about it. A buddy of mine says, he uses the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. We're most vulnerable to temptation when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. Be a bodybuilder. And thirdly, be an athlete under contract. You're bought with a price. You are not your own. Fellas, what we're saying is, you're not a free agent. You are an athlete under contract. You see, in the church, we're giving the wrong message. When it comes to sex, we're saying, no, don't, bad, stop. But it's a gift in its right place, in its context. 
But it ought not to be taboo. We ought to be able to talk about it. We ought to be able to discuss its mystery and its beauty and its depth and its complexity and its darkness. Some of you are uh, in a small group where you are discussing the sermon. And many of you will do that tonight or Wednesday night. And I don't know if you have time before tonight, but certainly do the next couple of days. But punch in your search engine, Andy Stanley, guardrails, sexuality. And watch that message or listen to it. uh, Print out the notes. I'm going to give you a little bit of it now, but what a a great thing to do before your small group. It's going to open up a powder keg, and I know that I'm doing that now, but let me give you six guardrails he gives, and he says to his church at North Point in Atlanta, these do not come from the Scripture. There aren't verses that a preacher can tack on to these, but all of his experience and wisdom of understanding the Bible and dealing with his sexuality and helping other people walk through the complexity of theirs, he gives married couples six guardrails and then singles three guardrails for the marrieds. Don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Don't hire cute members of the opposite sex because you want to help them. Don't confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. My profession, red flag, red flag, my profession. Today, I have a friend who's standing up in front of his church. You see, he went to the edge and he went over to the edge and it started right here in number four. When you feel your heart or desire drifting towards a specific person, tell someone. A buddy of mine calls this the tingle. You see, you can be a godly person. You can even be happily married. Uh, Your physical relationship with your spouse can be healthy even at that present time. But you can be with someone. And you can look at them and they can look at you and you can have a shared experience. You look at each other and there's that emotional thing. You know, God gave you this, by the way. And your sexual lust is not a problem you solve. It's an appetite that you manage. But you can look at someone in that moment and you can, as my buddy says, you can feel a tingle. Be careful. Have someone you can talk to about it. Lastly, number six, tell your spouse where your guardrails are so that they can also hold you accountable. I have a friend out of state. I'll say that so we can all relax. But, uh, man, he, w- he was caught. He was caught. Uh, and it's, this is the pink elephant in the room, so let's go ahead and say it. But he was uh, caught. His uh, habit, his destructive habit of pornography was uncovered. They sought counsel through their pastor and, and a close, trusted friend. And they set up their own guardrails. The pastor was wise enough to ask them a little bit about their habits. You know, you know that habit where the wife goes to bed at 10 or 11 and the husband stays up to 2? You know that habit? Yeah, those type of things. Those things. You know the habit where you don't have the filter or the email that you can shoot to a friend that shows what you're looking at? You know those? Yeah. But a couple of things they've established is that uh, he won't talk to her about a lot of the masculine sexual struggle that, that's common among men. See, neurologists tell us that a woman's brain is more integrated, it's more holistic, right? But a man's is more compartmentalized. We are neurologically more prone to pornography. We can more readily disassociate love and lust. Do you get that? That's just, I'm just dropping science on you. 
But he has a Christian brother, but she knows the Christian brother, and she can talk to the Christian brother in appropriate context about her husband. But he's made a commitment to seek Jesus. He wants to save the marriage. He wants to become a man of God. He wants to grow in this. And he has a commitment to her that she will see him journaling and seeking God and hiding God's word in his heart. And she knows if she doesn't see him journaling and doesn't see him seeking the Lord, that she can nudge him and she can be there for him to show him that support. Guardrails for single couples, or single people, I'm sorry. Apply the married people's guideline in your relationship with married people. Number two, no sleepovers ever. Thirdly, take a relationship break. For some of us, it's an addiction, isn't it? Just to be in a relationship. And it'd be wise for some just to fast from that romance of a relationship. Now, I know what I'm doing today, and I hope we hit our target. Nobody's jumping up and down right now. Nobody's throwing their head back hysterically and laughing and slapping a knee and nudging them and nudging the other, right? I mean, but what I'm hoping is that this can be, uh, it can promote discussion. Marrieds and singles in this area of our lives, we we need guardrails. And lastly, I want to say that, that we need grace. We need grace. Now, I'm going to say this at the risk of being misunderstood. But I think you guys understand. I, I mean, I believe the Scripture. I believe the Scripture. Live it as best I can. Teach it as best I can. I want to, I want to know it better. And, 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 just, and to walk it out. But after having said that, I want to tell you, as I look at the Scripture and see the heart of God in it, I think the area of our sexuality is far more complex than we think it is. And as a church, I think we ought to seek Christ in just exactly what that means. And I will say one thing, that we, all of us, ought not to be haughty or arrogant in this area. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, I've slept with one woman in my life. And I highly recommend it. I do. But I don't say that in a haughty way. I want to tell some of you that it's possible. It's possible. But I could talk to you about intense temptation in this area. I can talk to you about getting close to the edge and I can talk to you about even some regrets I have and I can stand here today to say I'm a red-blooded American male. We need to be humble as we talk about this very subject. In Luke chapter 7, there was a woman caught in sexual sin. And the scripture says, Jesus said, your many sins are forgiven. In John 8, a woman was caught in the act of adultery. There were those wanting, the religious people wanting to to, to throw stones. And Jesus says, you are no longer condemned. In Hebrews 11, interesting if you consider this, in Hebrews 11, it gives us a hall of fame of faith. It tells us about people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Samuel. And it mentions someone uh, named Rahab. Do you know what Rahab was? Rahab was the harlot, the prostitute. Now, in Hebrews 11, no other occupation is mentioned. You see where I'm going with this? 
It didn't say David the king, Abraham the rancher, Gideon the judge, Samuel the prophet. It said none of that, but it said Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. Why? That's God's grace. And it's all through the book. When we come to a passage of scripture like this today, we tend to think do not, do not, do not, and it weighs us down. But it culminates in Christ's love. And this morning, I know that this can be hard because there's no other subject that can bring the embarrassment, that can bring the guilt, the shame, the frustration, is this subject. But we are losing because we are so repressive and arrogant and black and white. My prayer for our church is that we would let the conversations begin. I challenge you to think on these three things, that it is a good gift from God. Those desires, they're from Him. They really are. You and I need guardrails. And I I get it. I, I get that yours might not be mine. I get that there's a good number of you that mock that. There, There could be some of you that think, man, you just get laughed out of the room trying to apply this. But the goal for the Christ follower is not how close I can get. It's how can I grow. It's how can I be pure. What ought I to take off and to put on? Giggle if you want. But this passage says, put off some things and put on some things. Clothe yourselves. Some things don't look good on you or me. And sexual immorality and impurity and evil desire and misguided passion and coveting what is not ours, he says in this passage we look at today. But let our church fuse with grace. Let it spill over. Because it's not us in here saying they need it, right? It's us saying we need it. Would you bow? Would you pray? Lord, we do. Lord, we do want to be a people that are straightforward. And Lord, we do want to be a people that can move away from the blushing, the nudging, and the fear of this. And what a disconnect between religious people through the centuries and in our day that shudder and grimace and cringe and recoil at the truth that we're all, at part of our core, sexual beings. Because it's a deep, soulish thing. And God teaches of its gift, the potential thereof. For broken homes and hearts and marriages, Lord, I pray that you bring healing as you can. And Lord, I know there are real heavy hearts here today. And though betrayed, though hurt, though maybe discarded, Lord, I pray that we would find you to be the deep lover of our souls.
Lord, unite us in a mission to be the people that you so desire. And that you would embolden us to move towards your heart, to see your heart behind every do and don't in the Scripture. And Lord, as I get deeper into this life and see the science and have the conversations, to see the beauty and the depth and darkness of this subject, Lord, I thank you that it it confirms the validity of, of what you say. Lord, I pray that you speak into people today, and Lord, that you would, in these moments, as we stand and as we worship, that we would offer heartfelt prayers to you. I pray, Lord, that you would do your work in people, and those in particular who poignantly in this moment need your grace, whisper that into them, that there is therefore no more condemnation in Christ. Though you take this seriously, Lord, you forgive freely. We're grateful that we can uh, we can look and we can learn. Lord, I pray that the conversations would only begin less hiddenness, more honesty, Less darkness, more light. Less enslavement, more freedom. Less divorce, more union. Less shattered dreams. More wholeness. Lord, I pray, Titus 2, that older women and older men could mentor younger men and younger women. I thank you for a church where we can look out and see so many young people our singles and our young marrieds. And Lord, we wouldn't be the church we are without them. And I pray for them now and for their futures. Let them rejoice in the spouse of their youth. Jesus, would you stand, would you sing? And um, Susan and I and Gary are going to be down front here. And my microphone's off. They don't have one. And... um, the first service surprised me, but I do know the reality that uh, subjects like this don't get people down front. But uh, maybe today it's not about the subject we talked about. Maybe today you come with a decision, you need prayer. Maybe it is a subject today. You know, seriously, why should we be so stuffy and formal? Why should we care what other people think? And maybe for you it's a, a prayer about your family or friend today would you would you come today and let us uh, pray for you give us that opportunity if God leads if you feel so inclined but all of us that are able would, would we stand and would we sing praise to God now